This is a Poets and Writers page one author reading. To hear more, visit us at pw.org forward slash multimedia or at soundcloud.com forward slash poets and writers. One way to understand what had happened to her, what she had made happen, what she had insisted upon, it began with the house. It was the particular house, but it was also where the house was and where she discovered she wanted to be. It was a rundown, abandoned arts and crafts cottage in a neglected, once vibrant neighborhood in the city of Syracuse. The house sat high on a tiny lot on Highland Street, which ran atop a hill that bordered a long expanse of grass and trees. It looked like a small, sloping park, but it was actually a cemetery, the old graves scattered across the rise. Unless you were squeamish about graves, Sam wasn't. The sloping green hill was quite pretty. Highland itself offered a wide view of downtown. You could see the steeples of churches, and you could see how the small city was in a valley surrounded by hills. You could even see the kidney shape of Onondaga Lake, although it was often partly obscured by low-hanging clouds. The decision to leave her husband, the act of leaving, really, began the moment she made an offer on the house. It was a Sunday. Sam woke up at 5 a.m., unable to continue sleeping. She attributed this unnecessarily early waking to the approach of menopause. Her period still came each month, but odd things had started changing in her body, even her brain, one of which was suddenly becoming awake at 5 a.m. on a Sunday, her mind shaking off sleep with unnegotiable clarity, as if she had already drunk a cup of coffee. And just as with coffee, she felt alert, an adrenal burst, but she could also feel the fatigue under it all, the weariness. That morning, the wood slip floor was cold against her bare feet, but she couldn't find her slippers. It was still dark. She tried not to wake her husband. She used her phone to illuminate the way to the bathroom. She peed, flushed, washed. She brushed her teeth without looking in the mirror. She pushed up the blinds to peek outside. The sky was gradually lightening with the dawn and half a foot of snow had fallen overnight. It was one of those Syracuse March snow dumps. Everyone complained because it should be spring, but why say that when it was never spring in Syracuse in March? Besides, snow in March was often spectacular because of the spring light. The sunrise that was creeping up now cast a pink and gold glimmer, and a little crust of ice on top of the snow glittered from the sky and from the street lamps. The trees, the roofs of the houses, even the salt-crusted cars looked beautiful. And like most spectacularly beautiful effects, it was almost too much, too dramatic, nearly lurid. Sam loved the drama of a March snow. March meant the sky would be bright, blindingly bright, not the cloudy darkness of January or the dingy gray monotony of February, the worst month. But here was the important part. Sam figured she was the only person on earth who thought March snowstorms were wonderful, and this made her feel a bit proud of herself. Always she liked to imagine herself as subtly different from everyone else, enjoying the tension and mystique of being ordinary on the surface, but with a radical, original interior life. For example, back when Sam used to shop the sales at the Talbots and DeWitt with the other suburban ladies of her class and age, she separated herself. Sure, Sam had discovered that the classic A-line or sheath dresses made of solid colored pont knits were so forgiving, so flattering, flattering, that tragic word, to a grotesque midlife misshapenness, a blurriness, a squareness, really. But despite being there and shopping because of an insider email blast notification of a super sale, Sam believed that she was different from the other women. Inside, she was mocking the calibrated manipulations, mocking herself, 
noting the corporate branding and lifestyle implications of the preppy styles and colors, the classic plaids, the buttons on the sleeves, the ballerina flats evoking a tastefully understated sensibility. It even occurred to her that the other woman could be having the same interior thoughts and that the idea of conformity, at least in modern America, was never consciously sought after. No, Sam knew that you were sold the idea that you could be independent-minded even as you bought what everyone else bought. You were allowed to keep a vain and precious sense of agency. Her sense of resistance was as manufactured as her need to buy flattering clothing. Nevertheless, Sam also believed that her having such self-critical, self-reflexive thoughts as she shopped set her apart from the other women, surely. So she still believed herself to be, however stealthily, an eccentric person not suited to conventions of thought or sensibility. Lately, this desire to be contrary to convention had taken on a new urgency, well beyond clothes or matters of taste. An unruly, even perverse inclination animated her. It had been looking for a place to land, for something to fasten on. So now, not before, this odd inner state pushed her toward a highly destabilizing wildness, a recklessness that she couldn't suppress any longer.